Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 61. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's second season episodes, Unnatural Selection, Matter of Honor, and Measure of a Man. Here we go. Unnatural Selection, Season 2, Episode 7, Production Number 133, Original Air Date, January 30th, 1989, Directed by Paul Lynch, Written by John Mason and Mike Gray, Music Composed by Ron Jones, Guest Cast Include Diana Moldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, Patricia Smith as Dr. Sarah Kingsley, Cole Meany as Miles O'Brien, J. Patrick McNamara as Captain Taggart, and Scott Troost as Ensign. An emergency call from a Federation supply ship sends the Enterprise racing on a course to determine the nature of the crisis. Upon visually scanning the bridge of the USS Lantry, the crew is shocked to learn that everyone on board the troubled vessel is dead. Dr. Pulaski determines that the crew members have all died of old age. The Lantry is immediately placed under quarantine and the Enterprise heads to to the ship's last port of call, the Darwin Genetic Research Station. Looks like they had a battle with time. Lost. Heart, lungs, liver, everything. What is it? They died of natural causes. Natural causes? What in nature could cause that? For the record, Captain, they died of old age. You know, this this is weird. I, I thought I was going to, like, um. So it's been a while since I've seen this one. And I thought that I was going to. Uh, not enjoy it, but I actually did. It, it was it was like it was odd. I think it's that there's so many fun like investigative things and like fun like just Star Trek techie stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, like well, we we need to let's you know. So it, it, and it and it really does a good job. The story of just like taking it from one place to another to another to another. You know, like it starts at the land tree, then we go you know uh, to the Darwin facility. And uh, eventually, we get from there to the um, self-contained environment on the shuttle, and you know, of course, from there down to the. I don't know. It was just. It was just. It was kind of a neat. Um, I a plot, you know. So it's, maybe it's one of those things too, where maybe I shouldn't have enjoyed it because I'm not sure that it it really uh, adds up to be more than the sum of its parts. But I, I did enjoy it. Um, what did you guys think? Go ahead, Steve. Well, I mean, I like it. I like it fine. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. It, I, I kind of like the mysteries and solving a problem kind of episodes. You, you know, when I when I think of this episode, the 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 major thing I think of is the big uh, can of worms they open up with the way they solve the problem at the end of Doctor Pulaski bringing back. Because I remember <laughs> everyone always addressing this, saying like, "Wow, once you say that, you basically are saying you can." <laughs> You, people don't have to age as long as they run through the transporter with this thing all the time, you know. Well, they they kind of make it sound like it's it's just because of this this specific illness as far as the aging is concerned. So I kind of see how they get around people sure. don't have to age, but it but you're right that it does feel like can't we get around any illness just by finding yeah uh, DNA <laughs> any DNA that was from before they had the illness. Yeah, yeah. So it certainly brings that up. It certainly brings up like they don't really address. The fact that they're um, genetically altering children. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. That was illegal. Star Trek. You know, we're gonna, yeah. Later episodes of Star Trek, we're going to get some serious uh, rebuttals against the concepts of uh, 
DNA tampering, and I mean, obviously, we even had that uh, history with that from Khan and all that kind of stuff. You know, I guess those didn't bother me as much, although they were there and I was aware of them, because it still just feels like what it is an early next gen episode. So I just assume it's going to have tons of of um, kind of con- Star Trek continuity things that are going to be thrown out the window later. Um, it, well, before I go on, so so that that's very valid what you're saying, Steve. Adam, what about you? Yeah, I kind of had the same agreement. I was. Um, it actually kind of bothered me a little bit about the whole genetic engineer. I was like, yeah, this is illegal, isn't it? But like you said, it's an early episode. I haven't quite, I guess, got parameters fully set. Um, they didn't really delve into that too much in this episode. Um, it is what it is. It's kind of a mystery episode. It tries to say something about um, genetically engineering and, you know, the the problems that are involved with um, that can happen when you try to create the perfect human species. Um, um, yeah, it's an okay episode. <clears throat> yeah, you know, like I said, I, I think what I what I enjoyed was just the way that it kind of moves from one to another, place to another, and, and kind of the detective aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and also, you know what I think they could have done? For example, it reminded me of, you know, original series, Deadly Years. Mm-hmm. Hard not to think about that one, you know, when you've got people aging like this. Um, but I, I think that the basic story and the way that it moves around and stuff, I think they could have they could have had all of that, and and if they had written it later, they wouldn't. They could have gotten away with the same story without these kind of issues that we're talking about. It didn't have to be that they were aging. It could have been something else. Hell, it could have been any disease, right? Right. Um, it didn't have to be genetically modified children. Um, just anything that's I don't know. They could have been working on some super disease cure or something. Right. I don't know. It doesn't. You know. It didn't have. They didn't have to do those kinds of things. Um, and if they'd written it later, I don't think they would have. Um, so, I did enjoy it. We do finally, this is, I guess, kind of the first time you really get a good good look at the O'Brien character. I think yeah, this the, is the first time we, isn't this the first episode we, we he isn't hear his name? I believe yeah. so. Yeah, may, perhaps so. I, that, I, that struck me too, even though in the credits for a while, sometimes they've off and on been in there, but yeah, I agree. Yeah. I know he doesn't have a first name yet. That's That's... I don't even think that happens this season, but he's mm-hmm. got a last name. And is he wearing, like, officer pips there? Yeah, this was a very inconsistent thing throughout Next Gen. I think he, he I think through most of Next Gen, he wore what appeared to be officer pips, even though they often called him chief later on. Yeah, because they say transporter chief, mm-hmm. and we know there's another transporter chief in here. It, shouldn't that always be enlisted? I, I don't know. I guess yeah, if it's chief, it, you know, I think they were just, yeah, I think they were just inconsistent with that kind of thing. They hadn't got him quite figured out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, you do say the things where, you know, he's the, um, you know, uh, making all the modifications, you know, you get to kind of, O'Brien is more of a, um, O'Brien. I think he's more of the old old style engineer as opposed to LaForge who's always like fixing things and the fixer. It's, yeah, well, he's, known. O'Brien's becoming, he's, in this episode, uh, he's more of the O'Brien that we're going to see on DS9, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's so crazy, you know, to kind of see him in an episode like this, where he's—it's way more than just he's standing on the, the in the transporter room for a minute and says a line. You know, I mean, it—he's—he's he's an actual featured player, right? Mm-hmm. But to see that and just to think how far he's going to go and that, you know, he's going to be a regular for seven years on DS9 after he leaves Next Gen—it's—it's <laughs> it's pretty crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
nobody else did that. Even Michael Dorn's Wharf went from, you know, main cast to main cast. But anyway, um, <coughs> so yeah, maybe if I saw that's what when I was getting at to at the beginning. I think this might this might be the kind of episode where if I saw it like. If I'd seen it recently, then maybe those kinds of issues would have bothered me more, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed it for uh, what it is, and also, it's there aren't many Pulaski-centered. I mean, she's only on the show for one season. They didn't really feature her a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of those. It's one of the few times that we have a full-on kind of Pulaski-ish thing. Um, I even like, you know, like I said, the techie kind of stuff, like, oh, like when she, she goes to Picard and says, well, you know, she wants to, uh, release this child and out of the, uh, whatever, Styrolite. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a funny name. Um, you know, Picard says it's too great a risk, whatever. What my first thought there was, it was too great a risk to bring him on. Well, no, because Picard, he, you know, he makes the commandy decision. Um, nope. He's on the ship, but you're not taking him out of the starlight. Well, I need this self-contained environment. Blah blah blah. Find this ship. You know, and she goes to him <clears throat> and says, "I want to put him on the uh, shuttlecraft." Picard says, "Approved." Jeez. <laughs> 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 but you said, "Oh, wait, sorry." You know. Um, so there's just a little spellless. And then of course she grabs Data, who is probably immune to the <laughs> disease, although we've seen him be affected by things before. Yeah. So that was, you know, uh, so it's all these kinds of little. Very Star Trekky things. This is an episode, I think, a good example where, um, as opposed to say Measure of a Man that we're going to be discussing shortly, uh, I think anybody can enjoy that. Uh, unnatural selection. I think you would have to specifically be a Star Trek fan and probably yeah. a fan of Next Gen, yeah, uh, to enjoy this episode. Um, but um, don't have a lot else on this one. Um, because some, you know, when it is so plot heavy, just plot, 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 it doesn't leave a lot of room for a discussion, really. Right. But that's probably okay because uh, we have gone over our last couple episodes. <laughs> and I, I feel bad about that. You know, we wouldn't have if I wouldn't have yammered on after our discussion. So I'm not going to do that so much today. Anyway, um, well, I think this is, I mean, I know we're heading this way, but I think this is one of these classic um, don't mess with nature kind of themes here, you know, for talking about what it's what they're trying to be about. You know, I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of, you see this a lot, really, um, but um, off and on. But I think that's what they're going for. I it, It's not, um, I would have liked for them to kind of reference that theme or employ it a bit more mm-hmm. because, heck, it's probably 30-some-odd minutes into the 45, 46-minute episode before we even kind of, you know, before they figure it out and mention this stuff. Yeah. Um, which is fine for the de- detective side, but for the what's this episode about, you know, the stuff that gives it legs and gives it meaning, uh, that message, um, they don't have a lot of time to play with it since it's... By the by, the nature of the story of the episode, is something we're not going to discover for a while. Yeah, it's a you know it's a minor kind of comment, but I, because of that, I'll put it this way: because of that, when I remember this episode, that's not really what I remember. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I remember um, uh, Pulaski and Shuttlecraft. Yeah, which is another thing we haven't seen a lot of Shuttlecraft, have we? No, no. It's it seems lately that's a rare sight. Yeah, we've seen a couple, but. 
Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's a whole just, other set, so I'm sure. Yeah. Budgetary um, reasons. Caesar, what do you think it's about? Um, I kind of I tend to agree with you. I think um they didn't leave themselves enough time about to to talk about the questions of um genetically altering humans and that sort of thing and the consequences that might occur when that happens. They kind of just kind of wrapped it up neatly, but like I said, I think they just kind of ran out of time. They could have spent a little bit more time questioning that. Uh, what's is kind of funny though is um they kind of asked those questions later on in a measure of a man, you know, like what do you you know you you create these these creatures, I mean, you know, who or what they be become. So, even though they don't do a very good job in, the, in this episode, they make up for it in a couple episodes here that we're going to watch. Yeah, you know, and I just thought of one other cool techie kind of thing that I, I just thought was really cool um, was when they, like, remotely, they take, they remotely take over the land tree. Oh, yes, yes. That's neat. I don't know if that's something that you can only do, that level of control, that you can only do with a ship that basically is just a, it's just like a transport ship or something generic like that. Right. right? And they did make it kind of a, a process, you know. It's yeah. It's not so easy to do, yeah. But but it, it's hard to imagine they would let you do that, do something like that with, say, the Enterprise. I mean, we did have that thing in, in Star Trek too, right, where they were able yeah. to remotely disable the, the shields on the Reliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but, but yeah. it's neat. It's neat that it's kind of a techie, cool thing to do. Let's remotely take over the ship. And it's actually kind of fun, I think, that, they, that you're right. They made it a process, which narratively makes sense, but it was kind of cool. It made it, mm-hmm. it, made it a, a quick little sequence that they were able to do. Again, if you're not a Star Trek fan, I don't... I mean... Yeah, yeah. Which was one of the, the things that made Next Gen so good is that it was... Made it so successful, I should say. And maybe why DS9 and Voyager weren't as successful as Next Gen was because they were, for the most part, you know, non-Star Trek people could be could enjoy them just flipping the channels and mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. see them on some local syndicated thing. Maybe maybe DS9 and Voyager had more unnatural selections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In that sense, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I guess we've covered what it's about. So it's so it's it's kind of a theme that we've that we've hit before uh, in Trek. Maybe it isn't hit as well here, but, you know, it's always good. Um, and, yeah, Steve, I think you're right that basically to continue with the show, they just basically pretty much have to ignore a lot of the stuff that happened in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Forever. Yeah. Being forever, it kind of sucks to be one of those kids down there, right? They're just saying yeah, they have wow. to be quarantined forever. Oh, and last comment. It also, it, it made me kind of almost laugh. Like, the scene whenever the... Uh, the, the what is it supposed to be? Twelve year old, fourteen year old? I forget. The child is beamed in the sick bay, mm-hmm. and and Worf is like a trick, and everyone starts freaking out. And I'm like, what? What happened? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if they were, I, I don't. If 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 it was that this person looked older than this person should have looked, I think they should have made that a little more clear because otherwise it was it didn't yeah. work. It, was yeah. I the only person who had that problem? Yeah, I can. Oh, it was yeah, one actually. of those things that probably looked better on paper and then translated on the screen. <laughs> anyway, so it's probably could have just left it alone. That could have been something that cut out. <laughs> well, let's move on. So we're going to end up with maybe we'll have a little more time to discuss the last episode today. But first, six degrees for unnatural selection. Uh, Adam, I think you won last time. So you want to go first or second? Um, I'll go first. 
Scott Trust plays Ensign Shipley, the transporter chief that assists O'Brien in trying to get Dr. Pulaski back to the Enterprise. In DS9's first season, he played a Bajoran officer in the episode A Man Alone. In this episode, Odo was accused of killing a Bajoran criminal named Ibudan. As part of the investigation, Bashir finds the remains of a biological sample in Ibudan's quarters. What was it? Um, bio- what was the biological sample? Yeah. Um, like disintegrated phaser remains of the actual victim. Um, I'm gonna guess I, that's no. <laughs> well, I think I think that you, you need a little more information. Okay, is it? Well, I mean, he finds a biological sample of the victim, right? Um, I think you'll you'll see where I'm going for after I give you. This. Steve, do you have a? Any different answer? Um, I, I may not be thinking of the right ones, but is it, is it a clone? You're correct. It was a clone. Yes, that's okay. what I was looking for. Ibudan cloned himself uh, and then murdered the clone so that he could frame Odo for his murder. Okay. Uh, Steve, in Next Gen's sixth season in the episode Schisms, Trust again played Shipley, this, working, uh, this time working in engineering. In this episode, crew members of the Enterprise are abducted in their sleep by aliens. Which crew member volunteers to wear a homing beacon when he goes to sleep so that the aliens can be found out? Oh, yes. Um, is that uh, Riker? You are correct. It was Riker. Two nothing. Moving on. A Matter of Honor, Season 2, Episode 8, Production Number 134. Original air date, February 6th, 1989. Directed by Rob Bowman. Story by Wanda M. Height, Gregory W. Amos, and Burton Armas. Teleplay by Burton Armas. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Diana Muldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski, John Putch as Mindon, Christopher Collins as Cargan, Brian Thompson as Clagg, Colm Meany as Miles O'Brien, Peter Peros as Tactics Officer, and Laura Drake as Vecma. A special exchange program brings a Benzite named Mendon aboard the Enterprise and gives Riker the opportunity to become the first Federation officer to serve on board a Klingon cruiser, the Pak. Riker's preparations for his assignment include lessons in cuisine and command structure aboard a Klingon vessel from Lieutenant Worf. Riker is put to the immediate test on board the Pach when Riker must overpower the second officer when he questions his authority and loyalty to the crew. Files no longer important. What is important is our response to this attack. Engage cloaking device. Change course to intercept the Enterprise. What do you intend to do, Captain? Intend. There's only one response. I intend to attack the Enterprise and destroy it. All right, so this episode, at the time that it aired, uh, was the best ratings Next Gen had ever gotten. Um, And years since, I still hear people talk about, you know, uh, the officer exchange program, Riker on the Klingon ship. Um, So... While I enjoy this episode, I've always thought that I must have a slightly different opinion of it than the average Star Trek fan. Given that, I will let you gentlemen start this discussion. What do you think of this episode? You know, when I think of, like, Officer Exchange, I think of um, when um, Worf's brother comes aboard the Enterprise. I kind of get that episode in this one confused. When, um... Kern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, when Kern actually does the program. It's the same program, but, yeah, different episode. So yeah, I got a little. Cu- I th- I kind of thought that I remember what seeing this episode. and I was reading the little bio, and I was like, oh yeah, this is where they switch places. And I'm like, oh wait, current isn't in this episode. I forget when that it is, but um, um, 
It's a solid episode. It's entertaining because you get to see the Klingon side. You get to see the food, you know, the structure on a ship. I think we kind of take for granted that um, this was still kind of a new concept, seeing, you know, the Klingons and Federation being um, somewhat allies, uneasy allies. But um, you actually get to see what goes on on their ship. So it was kind of a new concept at the time. So I'm sure that's why it was... um, pretty popular yeah I mean, this time. is it, admittedly this is even before star trek 6 uh this would have also yeah this would have also been before star trek 5 came out anyway i think sure. yeah um you know uh movies that gave us a lot more time on the klingon ship other than just you know shots of the bridge when they ordered uh the death to kirk <laughs> yeah exactly uh steve I uh I kind of enjoy this episode. I mean, I know I know it's nothing particularly deep about it or anything, but I think it's it's a lot of fun. I I mean, I always remember this episode. I remember enjoying it at the time and I don't know, just uh, there's so many scenes. I maybe I watched it multiple times uh in my youth or whatever, but um uh, you know, I remember scene after scene and and just just Riker, I mean, mostly the Riker on the ship. This the B story, I I'm a little bit take it or leave it with that, you know. Um and the notion of an officer exchange program, they're a little bit inconsistent. It's a little unclear as to how this race that the Benzite is, you know, the Benzites are part of, part of the Federation apparently because that other one was, you know, at the Academy, trying to get into the Academy with Wesley, yet they're, yeah. he's calling him an ensign, he's wearing the uniform, they, I don't know what. Well, anyway, but as far as the Riker on the, the Klingon ship and everything surrounding that, I, I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I would agree. The, the Benzite thing was a little bit confusing. But until I got to the end, you know, later on in the episode, I'm like, oh, this is how this works. So. Yeah, how do you how do you tell them apart? Isn't that question kind of like when Wesley asks it? For me, I hear it, I think, that's kind of racist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just want well, to go, what? We all look alike. The, it's not racist. It's speciesist. Whatever that yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, the 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 Benzite. What's his name? Mordor? Mordor? Mordor. Mendon. Mendon, right, right. Yeah, like that whole storyline, I probably didn't even... I probably didn't even need it. Um, but I guess they needed a, a B story. Um, it almost feels like it can't be its own story since it basically just takes place uh, in the backside of the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> like, can, that be, can you do a story there? I guess so. Sure. <laughs> All right, fine. Feels weird. But... um. Um, yeah, like something you you said, Adam. I think is 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 definitely spot on here. They haven't done a lot <coughs> with this. We don't have the kind of you know we've never spent time in Star Trek seeing Klingons have lunch on their ship. You know, <laughs> almost a lower decksy kind of thing. Almost we haven't had that. Um, so. Considering how much they do here uh, that hasn't been done before, um, I will definitely give it a lot of credit for um, illuminating uh, the Klingons to us more than the shallow level that we get from, you know, um, fire disruptors at Captain Kirk. Um, So I do appreciate that, and I do enjoy that. Uh, But there are a lot of things that kind of... Like, the, like there are any number of other, even in this season, there's going to be another Klingon episode that I that I way more enjoy, um, personally. And again, and again, I think that I'm in the minority here for not enjoying this episode as much. I think um, 
Steve, it sounds like you know most Star Trek fans probably concur with you. And it's not that I dislike this episode. I just, I guess, I, I don't really think it's anything special. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and even the people that made it think it's special. In my <laughs> research, you know. Yeah. So, you know, this kind of stuff that, like, I don't, I don't think the guy that does the Klingon captain, Christopher Collins, mm-hmm. I don't think he's very good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't. Now, uh, who's the who, uh, Brian Thompson? He's great, and it's kind of cool to see him. What I can't remember his character's name. Flag, flag. Right. It's kind of cool to see him because um, usually, he, even not just in Star Trek, but in everything, he's such a like, um, you know, he's just a bad yeah. mofo, and he just says mean, evil things, and 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 he's very good at that. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's scary when he wants to be, whatever. But there's actually a little bit of depth to, not just to the character that he's playing, but the Klingon character that he's playing. So that's kind of that's cool, yeah. and I like that. Um, and all my favorite scenes in this episode are the Clag Riker scenes. You know, there's yeah. like the one uh, on the uh, in the mess hall. That's probably my favorite scene in the episode. And then there's a, a couple of exchanges they have on the bridge and things like that. Um, even when they first meet, you see a little bit of vulnerability to Clag that you don't see with a Klingon normally, and then it makes you start to think, well, maybe that you know, maybe what this episode is going for is that all Klingons have this. Have, an, have a real personality that's got some depth to it, and we just don't ever get to see that. And that's the point of this. And that that is cool. The problem for me is that Clag is like third in command or whatever. You know, uh, the captain is pretty shallow, and we don't see much with him. I, I don't think his performance is very good. Um, I, and they're just like, you know, we you guys talk about some of the things like narrative things that well, this doesn't make sense. Like say with the Benzite. Um, how is he in the officer exchange program? If Benzites are a part of the Federation, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have their own uh, Starfleet equivalent, which yeah. I, that makes sense. Well, like it bothers me little things like the captain. Uh, like once he concludes very quickly that the Enterprise instigated some kind of convoluted plan to destroy their ship with bacteria on their hull. Wouldn't he have immediately like arrested Riker or something? Yeah, I don't know. That, <laughs> it was a little over. Just, it was all a little reactionary. Yeah, all he actually says is "Clag, keep an eye on him." You know, it doesn't. I, I don't know. There's just little things like that that kind of yeah, uh, that that kind of uh, bug me. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like maybe it just needed another another writing pass or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. Like I said, there are plenty of things I do enjoy. Like I mentioned, I love the Clag stuff, um, all those scenes, especially that scene in the mess hall, which is actually a long scene compared to, com- you know, compared to the average length of a Star Trek scene. That's a fairly lengthy, chunky scene. There's a lot of good stuff in there that uh, that I enjoy. Um, yeah, I would kind of agree with you. I think maybe the whole little bacteria eating the hull was kind of weak. I don't mean, I don't know. It just didn't kind of. It's hard, with a lot of like yeah. it's hard to have like a dramatic showdown with bacteria. Bit <laughs> <laughs> um, anticlimactic. Yeah. yeah, I think they could have probably done better to kind of create some drama between the Klingons and Federation other than, you know, some wayward bacteria, space bacteria. Yeah, and it's like you've got this episode where you say, hey, the point of this is for us to really get some insight into the Klingons. You know? And still... We're, we show the main Klingon as, you know, paranoid, not very intelligent, mm-hmm. shallow. Um, 
we have the episode's resolution being Riker outsmarting him and tricking him, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also doesn't make him look that great. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's instead of... I'll put it this, put it another way. It's almost like <clears throat> the very... I don't know if stereotypes is the right word, but the very misconceptions about the Klingon people that this episode maybe was setting out to dispel, it instead reinforced them. Mm. Yeah, um, it was kind of half and half. With the exception of Clagg, um, yeah. with whom they achieved that. But Clagg was, a, you know, he was way down in the ranks in this. You know, and he was the exception too. All the other Klingons seemed more like the captain. So, is this one of the first times we also get to see Goth, live Goth? Um, is this the first time they used the word Goth in? Um, uh, I think maybe next. Uh, maybe so. next gen mm-hmm. or not? Not uh, not ever, right? Surely, or is it? Yeah, really? I is it so. the first time? Yeah, I believe oh. so. Oh, look at that! First time I get we get to see Klingon um, Klingon food, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think in that wide shot, it does the gach does look like uh, gummy worms, which is what you got at the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I I thought it was kind of funny when um O'Brien was sending Riker over there, you know, and he's like, I I wouldn't want to go there. They scare me. <laughs> yeah. But I think about how many times he's gonna have to like serve on a Klingon ship in DS9. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hmm. Um. Hmm. <clears throat> um, I had I wrote down in my notes with a big star next to it. I thought the close-up shots of um, the Benzite's screen that said "inconclusive" were really cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are the kind of things that I'm. Yeah, you know, I'm like, well, I'm I'm thinking that when I'm mentioning that is probably not the best. <laughs> I think I think what this comes down to. And, you know, obviously we're here to analyze episodes and such, so, you know, we can't, we can't just be superficial about it. But for, for me, for whatever reason, this is one example of one of these that I, I agree with everything you guys are saying about the, uh, about the kind of the analysis of the holes in this and when things. And I, and I think that that's correct. For some reason, though, just the, as far as the general aesthetics and the feel and the enjoyment I get out of it, for some reason in this case, it, it, it surpasses that. I don't know what it is about the combination of elements in this that I just well, I think really enjoy the entertainment value of it or something. I think that's completely valid and I'm glad that you would say that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, if, well, you know what? If somebody just really likes Klingons, they're going to love this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, there's some, the mess hall, mess hall stuff in there with Riker and, you know, and then the, and the female Klingons, like, kind of coming on to them. That's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, no. That collect <laughs> the clag makes about... Uh, if the food's too strong for you, maybe we can get a, a woman to breastfeed. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually kind of a, a ballsy line, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, See little yeah. kids so, watching it say, what does that mean exactly, <laughs> Mama? <laughs> and then, well, then you have like a return one or both, you know? Or yeah, you yeah. Know? Oh, so yeah, we, even even more right. risque. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I mean, those were those were enjoyable scenes. And, yeah, I'm, I'd agree with Steve. It's, I mean, the, it's entertaining at times. It's just, like I said, it, Got some holes, but yeah, yeah. There's most of the episodes do have holes, but we still love them anyway. Uh, I think we're gonna have a hard time finding it. A lot of holes in the next one. Yeah, there's one, there, we, there's one thing that annoys that. me about the next one, so but we'll get to that one. We'll yeah, get to it. but but last thing on this one, um, what's this episode about? 
Um, learning different cultures. Yeah, I mean, I think how they eat. Yeah. Trying to look past your preconceptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think perhaps yeah the the attempts to bridge um, the differences between cultures and and how you kind of have to come part way. You know the kind of it's the challenges of that. You know that there there's not any right or wrong. It's just if you, you want to bridge that gap, you're going to have to find commonalities and understand the differences as well and work through yeah. it. Yeah. And what's interesting is that it's this this idea that um, <clears throat> no matter how different we seem, we do have stuff in common. And if it's worthwhile for us to have a relationship, you know, we need to find those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And and that stuff is is noticeable in here. You know, it's it's hard to miss when you got a shot of of. Riker in a room full of Klingons on a what looks like a battle bridge and cloaked in smoke and red lights. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he does uh, stick out um, as different. Um, but you know, I would have personally liked more discussion on mm-hmm. these topics. I would have, I would have preferred to see uh, more depth to all the Klingons and not just Clack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if this episode, if its purpose at the time was to really illuminate the Klingons, I'm not sure it was as, as successful as it meant to be. Because for any um, steps forward that they took with Clag, they took the same number of steps back with every other every other Klingon for me, especially mm-hmm. the captain. Um, yeah. But um, it does have its moments that I enjoy, and I'm glad to hear. And I think it's perfectly valid, Steve, for you to say. I'm not even sure why, but I enjoy. Oh, I, I really like this episode. I enjoy watching it. I'm sure I've said that before. Probably in an episode with Garrick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Six degrees for matter of honor. I believe Steve has two. Um, Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. Brian Thompson plays Klingon Lieutenant Clagg. The Klingon officer that befriends Riker. In DS9's second season in the episode Rules of Acquisition, he played the Dosai Inglatu. Cork is negotiating on Zek's behalf to acquire what product from Inglatu? Mm. Okay, yeah. I vaguely so you don't have this. to tell me exactly how much of it, but just what is it? <laughs> um, gosh. On the tip of my tongue, and it's probably something uh, I did. I can't quite get it. Adam, um, is it Tula Berries? Tula Berry one, yeah, Tula Berries. Mm. Specifically, he was tra- after uh, Zek made him go back a second time. He was trying to get a hundred thousand vats of Tula Berry one. Two one, Adam Christopher Collins plays the Klingon Captain Cargan, with whom Riker has a disagreement about whether or not to attack the Enterprise. Later in this season of Next Gen, he will play. Greb Ned Log in the episode Samaritan Snare. Greb Ned Log and his shipmates look for things that make them go. What species is he? Oh. Oh. This is the one, that's the one where they um they mess up um LaForge, right? I can't remember the name. Yep, that's the one. Um I can't remember the name of the I always species. like the the sound it's <laughs> like it's like saying the word pumpkin. It just feels fun to say this. <laughs> that's why I like the species name. I, I don't recall their, their species name. 
Steve? Packlids. You are correct. There's the Packlids. Uh, so three to one. Moving on. The Measure of a Man, Season 2, Episode 9, Production Number 135. Original air date, February 13th, 1989. Directed by Robert Shearer. Written by Melinda M. Snodgrass. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Diana Moldar as Dr. Catherine Pulaski. Amanda McBroom as Captain Philippe Louvois. Clyde Kusatsu as Admiral Nakamura. Brian Brophy as Commander Bruce Maddox. Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. And Colmini as Miles O'Brien. <laughs> When the Enterprise arrives at the newly established Starbase 173, Data is ordered to serve under Commander Bruce Maddox, who wishes to disassemble and study him so that more androids can be made for Starfleet's use. But after Data learns that Maddox may not be able to reassemble him, he refuses to submit to the procedure. When Captain Picard is unable to have the orders changed, Data's only option is to resign from Starfleet. And an army of Data's all disposable. You don't have to think about their welfare. You don't think about how they feel. Whole generations of disposable people. He's talking about slavery. All right, folks. Um, I think I said during our discussion during uh, Next Gen Season 1, one one zero zero one zero zero one, the Binars episode, I really, I believe that's the first kind of great episode of Next Gen. But this is number two, um, but this, in a way, is so much more um, worthwhile because the Binars episode really feels like an anomaly. Most of the things that are great about it aren't the kind of things that are great about all other great next-gen episodes. It's it's so early that the show is so completely different. It doesn't feel unique to next-gen. This is the first great episode of next-gen that is Star Trek The Next Generation 100%. Um, this is the first one. This is one of those those episodes that I think you could play for anybody. I remember Steve you used to talk about like uh, I think you mentioned during the visitor on DS9 discussion that was mm-hmm. like your go to episode for non Star Trek people. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's a very short list to me. Uh, this is one of those episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> I think that even if you'd never seen any Star Trek in your life, somebody you didn't even know what it was. Somebody could play this for you. And you could get something out of it. Maybe the person would need to tell you, oh, that kind of yellowish guy, he's a robot. You know, <laughs> that's about all you'd need to know. I'm sure even that information is presented in this episode. But, um, you know, this is what Star Trek is all about for us. This is, we're going to have, you know, get to this during our discussion. But um, this episode is basically an hour of talking heads, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's riveting to me. Um, first thoughts, guys. Um, definitely agree. This is one of those, this is a, this is like a top 10 episode of the, could be in, a, in people's top 10 for like all, all episodes. It's really that good. I mean, it, it has a lot to say. Um, it's re- I mean, you see Picard, Patrick Stewart's really on top of his game as a character. Um, Brent Spiner's really on top of his game. Um, I think my favorite first scene of this episode is when um, Data actually kind of shames Captain Picard there in the ready room when he's mm, yeah. you know, when when they're when they're talking and he makes the comparison to Jordy's visor. Why well, doesn't all? And um, you could just see that in in the captain's face. He's like, yeah, this, yeah, that's that awful a, shame a- that. 
that he suggested what he did. And so data set or Picard says, this is not because you're not human. This is not because you're an Android. And then data says, well, <coughs> are data's eyes, um, you know, Jordy's more efficient. Jordy's, sorry, are Jordy's eyes more efficient than normal human eyes? Yes. Then why are not all Starfleet officers required to undergo a procedure and have their eyes replaced? And he says, I see it's precisely because, you know, I am not human that I'm being asked to do something uh, that you wouldn't ask of anyone else. Um, and then, yeah, and then Data, or Picard can't even look at him. He says, that'll be all, Mr. Data. And, and you're right, you can hear that kind of shame in his voice. And, and that's one of those things I wonder, like, how much of that was on the page? Was that, was that, because Picard, mm. uh, Stewart is just, he does an awesome job this entire episode, which we'll get to that too, but I think this really is a, Patrick Stewart is, is a Picard episode more than a date episode, um, but his performance is so good in every darn scene, and that's that's the first that's the first kind of moment where you're like, whoa, this really is going to be something special, you know? Because mm-hmm. how often do we see that with any Starfleet captain, let alone mm-hmm. Captain Picard? Yeah, you're so you're I I totally agree with you. That's the first kind of moment like that. <coughs> Steve, well. You know, frankly, if anything, I somehow liked it more than I thought I would. I mean, I, I remember how great it is, and it, and it definitely would be on my top ten of all Trek episodes, probably altogether. I don't remember what we how we ranked those a, a while back, you know, a couple of years ago or whenever it was when we talked about that. But, um, but somehow I even enjoyed it more. I did watch the extended version, which is available, you know, now now it's released on the Blu-ray and all that. But, um. Yeah, it's it's just got everything going for it. I suppose there was, it would have been possible to screw this up. You know, I mean, if you'd have just had in general the notion being, okay, we're putting, we're seeing if Data uh, is he a, is he a sentient being? That's the notion. Trial on for his life, whatever. Um, but it just everything fell into place, right? The the performances, the um, just that kind of courtroom drama. I think courtroom dramas, you know, when done yeah. right, are just that kind of thing. You know, um, that helped court martial original series. That's that's one of my favorite. Yeah. It's probably my top, maybe toward the bottom, but it's, I'm sure it's in my top ten for the original series, Ep- especially episodes that I could just watch any time. Yeah, you know, and you know, a I, lot I, of great ones. I think one of the reasons that is is because by its very nature, it's about right and wrong and justice. I mean, you know, the meaning is just. Let's talk about it. You know, it's basically an opportunity to get a bunch of people together and argue about um, right and wrong and rights and these kinds of things. You know, and I think that 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 lends itself to you know um, important you know and riveting drama. You know, one of the things we talk about, like in my my writing class, is this idea of like always kind of raising the stakes. Mm-hmm. You know, to keep people engaged, to keep it. Because once you kind of get used to it, you know, it's like the DJ turning up the volume at a dance party after a couple of hours. Just so that, because you've gotten used to it, you know, you need to yeah, increase yeah. it, right? You know, I think that this episode does an incredible job with that. Because it's not even, nothing practically changes uh, to raise the stakes in this episode. But what happens as the episode goes on is, you know, like Picard, it, as you realize it, it is a Picard episode more than a data episode. <clears throat> what happens is you realize that... Picard is realizing uh, that this is about way more than data, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and and that's not evident from the beginning. It just it's at the beginning. It's it's um, Maddox coming on the bridge, and um, I'm I need to 
transfer data because I'm going to op- open them up and see how he ticks. You know, and, but by the t- you go start from there, and by the time you get to the scene between uh, Picard and Guinan, which is a great scene, of oh, course, yeah. having having Whoopi delivered, you know, a black woman uh, deliver these lines about you know slavery, and of course. It's a little bit subtextual, but she's really obviously talking about slavery, which talks about disposable people. Um, Having her deliver those lines in particular is powerful. But, but, you know, kind of we're with Picard as he kind of realizes the ramifications of this ruling. This is, and and once you realize that, now now we've we've really raised these stakes. Mm -hmm. You know, we've really taken it from, um, oh, I don't want to lose data to, is all of Starfleet going to be <laughs> judged know, by this s- slave drivers, yeah. you know, for the future? Uh, do creators own their creations? You know, um, do what does a parent own his child? I think we would all agree that no, especially <laughs> certainly not even when they're a child, but um, you, you don't own that. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's it's what I love so much about this episode is the way that it just, um, without even presenting anything new, really, you realize through dialogue um, how important this really, really is as it goes on and it just gets more and more important. And that's saying a lot because cause at first you're already really hit hard by, oh my God, they're going to disassemble data. They're going to take away this this guy that I love in this show, right? Um, there, you know, and it's, you already have a level of drama. That, I mean, you know, that's not really going to happen, right? But because it's Star Trek Next Generation and they need data. But you, there is a great deal of drama. Like every time Maddox is on screen and you're like, oh my God, this, what, look what this guy wants to do to data, you know? And by the time the episode's over, that's not what you're thinking. That's not where the drama's coming from anymore for me. You know, by the time you get to that climactic scene with, Picard and his speech, you know, and he says, you know, how uh, won't we be judged by how we um, deal with this race of people? Um, you know, Starfleet. Oh, and of course, I love that line. Starfleet was was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. That's like mm-hmm. one of the most memorable lines in all of Next Gen for me. I can anytime I want, I can hear Picard shouting. Yeah. Well, there it sits. You know, <laughs> and it's such again, it's that exact exact same thing I'm talking about here, where it's like this this uh, intellectual journey where you you realize so much more about the stuff that you thought you already knew a lot about. You know, yeah. like oh my God, data is. He is a new life form, um, and how we treat him does say something about ourselves. And um, anyway, these these so, are what I love about it. It just keeps it, it, it just gets deeper and deeper and bigger and bigger, and it never does more than have a couple guys in a room talking. Well, it starts off that way. We get our first poker game in this episode too. Yeah, yeah, oh, right, important. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. you know, you were talking about raising the stakes, and I'm like, well, you know, they kind of set it up that way, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, well, that's, a, that's a, that opening scene is great, of course, because it shows, um, you know, um, we we see I mean, David as that innocent child kind of thing. I think we kind of glossed over um, Jonathan Franks, um, you know, Riker. He did a really good job in this episode too. I mean, yeah. it's kind of um, 
just um, how, you know, he sets up, you know, in the beginning, you know, we, we see Riker, he's the poker player, and he'll be the poker player throughout the rest of the series and, and on. But I um, thought he did a very good job, you know, in that scene where he's having to set up for the prosecution, just the facial expressions, you know, it's just the, you know, he's he's happy that he found, yeah. found something that he can use for the prop, but then he realizes, oh, wait, this might actually kill my friend. So, um, um, yeah, I thought Riker was really good in this episode, too. Kind of might a little overlooked because the, the episode has so many right. good pieces. I totally agree. For one th- one thing, immediately, that's great drama, right? we got to put Frakes up against... We've got to put um, Riker up against Picard. So that's immediately mm-hmm. great drama. Immediately great drama that Frakes is having to do this against his friend in a way to try and save his friend. But yeah, like that, those, those are, there are two of those <coughs> those looks that that he gives one is whenever, you know, whenever he finds that on on the computer screen about uh, how to shut off data, mm-hmm. you know, and that you do see that almost like almost a smile and then a sense of dread. He realizes because he realizes what he did. And the same thing whenever he presents his case, which seems pretty effective, and then he sits down and he kind of um, puts his head in his hand, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, and still, it's it's so well written because um, you're like, my God, how does he? How does Picard fight that? And but he fights it in such a simple way that when you have the scene, but the very next scene after that, right, is um, is the the Picard Guinan scene. It's so good. Um, and he, because of that discussion, because he realizes the gravity. Of this, you know, he goes in there and he starts with, "Do we deny that he is a machine? No, but we are also machines. Do we not? You know, it's yeah. it seems so simple, um, but it but it definitely. Uh, it definitely works very effectively, you know. And we should probably mention. So this was a, a spec script, you know, that uh, Snot and Linda Snotgrass wrote. And this is very unusual for, you know, nobody gets their spec scripts written. You know, that's when you just write a script just to write a script. Nobody's mm-hmm. paying you to write it. Nobody's going to produce it. You're writing it just to show that you can write, basically. Yeah, I mean, everybody would love to sell their spec scripts, but it it never happens. You know, even Hollywood that buys feature scripts all the time they've i don't think you know there's a report on this every year they've never bought i don't know i don't think they've ever bought more than 100 spec scripts in a, in a year and that's from everybody on the planet anyway so this is very unusual that, that they produced her spec script and, and heck we probably have the writer's strike to thank for the fact that they even mm-hmm. i mean obviously this this writing is great and once they saw it they were going to make it but we're talking about thousands of spec scripts that get submitted mm-hmm. that if it hadn't been for the writer's strike and them being so short on scripts, maybe they never even would have read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah. There's only one thing that kind of annoys me about this this episode. Um, as great as um, Picard's um, his his lines, his his argument for um, Data being sentient, great. Great television, great acting, and everything like that. But on the flip side, the judge advocate, I couldn't stand her little her yeah. her summarial <laughs> judgment at the end. It's just like. Oh, you're annoying. Stop talking. Just. I I totally agree, and I've always kind of felt that way, and I've always kind of felt guilty for feeling that way. Um, I don't know why exactly, but like, yeah, it's like what she says doesn't live up to what he said. But then you think, well, that was the same person that wrote it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Could it just be that that Stewart is that good, and then she's she's just okay, and that's why? You well, know, they kind of have. The- when I see her. It feels like she's acting, and she says. I don't know if I even have a soul. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It feels like she's acting, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have this whole little B story with her and Picard, and it's you know you yeah. get the gist of their their adversaries. They were, I guess, she's a spurned lover, 
Yeah. From him, I don't know. You go, I don't quite. You don't quite get what's going on with their history. You just you know that they don't like each other, but they do like each other, kind of thing. And it's kind of weird. And I don't know if it was really necessary, but I mean, it is what it is. I just thought that the writing for her, or maybe it's the acting. She just didn't really. The good part about that history is this idea that she, that they were together, and she prosecuted him uh, after the loss of the Stargazer. And, right. Um, and lost that, but and th- and that's a bit of new news, right? It's like standard, a court martial is standard procedure after the loss of a ship. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it also establishes a little bit of a timeline. And this is the only place they do that, where it sounds like about a decade ago since that happened. Therefore, uh, the only explanation What's Picard is Picard doing during that Picard decade? just was had some kind of traveling around or a desk job or something because he didn't have a ship between those times, or at least it wasn't established. So. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But yeah, you're right. I, but over the years, I think I've softened a little bit to her, um, at least enough that she doesn't. Well, she doesn't ruin the episode. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't. You know, doesn't she's work. probably the maybe she's the reason that it's number ten instead of number seven or eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still freaking number ten, right? Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, we talk about like the point of our podcast and what's this episode about and what's the message of the episode and the better the message um, the longer legs the episode has the more it holds up over the choice of time this episode you can't talk about the episode without talking about what it's about right, it, right. It, the episode is what it's about you know what I mean um, it's so it's so inherent in the narrative um, it's so inherent in the story um, and that's that's like the extreme <laughs> You know, depending on how you look at it, that's like the extreme example of of a great a great episode for us to discuss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- and this theme this theme is is timeless. I mean, it, it's it's relevant on and on and on. I mean, we can talk about at the time, we can talk about in the past, we can talk about right now how this is a relevant theme that that people need to see and think about. You know? Yeah. Well, the other thing it kind of brings up is this idea of. Um, that it's important for us to revisit our definitions of, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in this case, let's say, equal rights. Since your life. Well, yeah, but if we want to compare it better to today, to today you know, yeah, and I, and I have no doubt that, yes, someday we're gonna, our technology is going to advance to the point where that is a question. But right now, for us, I, I think about equal rights, right? Um, there are Porsche, there are people in our, and I try to, you know, on our podcast, I try to not be political, but I can't help certain things. <laughs> I feel strongly about certain things. But we can look back, say, a couple hundred years ago, and we can have very clear evidence of certain people or lifestyles or whatever that are uh, not exactly, I mean, they are persecuted, but it's that it's, um, it, it wasn't thought of persecution during, in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. And if we never re-examined those questions, we never would have advanced, you know? Mm-hmm. Stuff like civil rights you know it's pretty crazy to think that the majority of legal civil rights action in the united states took place in the 1960s that was a century after the civil war and slavery mm-hmm. was abolished that was a yeah. hundred freaking years after that um but if we don't you know so so i say in the case of this episode yeah it, um it's important for them to yeah, at one time we had this perfect definition of what sentience was, and people that anything that was sentient got these certain rights. Um, but 
it is important to always kind of be reevaluating these things for any if it's a if it's if it's something that's going to move, um, then that has to happen. Mm-hmm. And then that's you know, that's we'll one of the things it was making me think about. You know, and they return to this again. You know, obviously in Voyager with the Doctor, um, this kind of this kind of wraps it up with Data. We don't there's, there's no more like debate after this episode. Is he a person or not? Really, I don't think they kind of hindered around it to it up till now. Well, remember, the Offspring has some. Is that some? Wait, no. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, um, that's the one with the law, right? Yeah, yeah, that has some elements of that. Um, but again, the other thing too that I, I enjoy so much is that. Ultimately, it doesn't. It's not a data episode for me, you know. Um, data doesn't change after in this episode. I mean, you could argue he never changes in Android, but I don't think that's really true. We, I think, we do see some change there. Uh, but it's it's Picard that has to change. It's Picard that has to understand all of these things. You know, data is data understands it all from from the get-go i love that scene we haven't really talked much about it but i love that scene um when he explains to maddox why he's resigned from starfleet you know um and what that he so that he can't because he can't go through the, the procedure you know it's not ego dr soon created something unique uh and something which i cannot allow to be destroyed something special that would be lost you know, and he talks about there's this ineffable quality to memory. Great, <laughs> great idea, great line. You know, but this this idea that just copying over all the bits out of Data's brain would not be preserving Data. Yes, keeping the yeah. essence of the memory. Right. Um, well, yeah, we haven't really talked about all that, but <clears throat> but Data already knows all of that. That's who Data is. Um, it's Picard that actually learns something and, and has the most change in this episode, which is why, you know, I think of this as a Picard episode. He's the hero of this episode. He's the he's the character that undergoes the most change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you think about like that that scene you mentioned, Adam, near the beginning when he we can see that shame because we realize he's because he realizes um, he's he has these same preconceptions, misconceptions as all these other people in Starfleet. He realizes he's he's saying and treating Data exactly like uh, Nakamura and Maddox. Right. You know? Uh, and we go from there to by the end of the episode um, him totally believing. Yeah, they're both for both I would say up for Riker as well, but yeah, it's a more Picard. Um... What's your favorite scene in this episode, Steve? Um, if I had to pick one scene, it'd be the Picard and Guinan scene. Adam, um, I'll st- I'll stick with the the first scene with um, Picard and Data in the ready room, where that's where you you see that Picard has to change. that's where you first see him change. Yeah, the beginning of it. <laughs> but a great episode. I mean, you know. From start to finish, it's just really I enjoyed watching it just as much today as I probably did when I first saw it. So we've we've certainly discussed um, what it's about. Um, well, uh, real quickly, let's mention this: the extended thing. Um, so, Steve, you watched the extended version. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is the first time you watched it. During our break, there, I was asking you if it was. 
obvious to you what were the new additions. Yeah, I, I believe. So in a way, I think if it wasn't, then that's probably better almost because mm-hmm. you know we don't want the, if if they were cut because they weren't good, well then that's not good. If they were cut just for time because they were still good, then that's that's more valid. Right. I mean, I saw how long it was going to be, so I knew there was about fifteen minutes worth of stuff, and I. I couldn't identify all of it. It was kind of a mix, you know. There's some of it that was pretty obvious to me, and some of those scenes, I I did feel that they made good choices as far as what they cut. But there were scenes that I I was a little shaky on. I would I would have to like review it to know exactly what they cut out, you know. Yes, yeah, so we're discussing these, you know, that they that Melinda Snodgrass had an old VHS tape with an with the first cut of this episode from like you know from the late '80s, and she'd held on to it for all these years. I assume it had film key code numbers on it, burned into the screen, and uh, obviously they cut it down for time so there'd be room for commercials, and they reconstructed it for the Blu-ray release. I'm not sure if they, because I don't know if you guys noticed, they started putting these HD versions uh, on like iTunes and digital places now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if they put the Measure of a Man extended on there or not, because on the, on the Blu-ray, you know, it's, it's not even... It's separated completely. It's not like like if you just choose the episodes, it's not an option, right? right. You have to actually yeah. the extra extras. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of odd in that sense. Um, it, so it really makes you feel like they they just did it for the for us and the Blu-rays. You know, it's obviously it wouldn't be syndicated or something. Um, but it, but it was cool. There there are a couple of scenes like like obviously there are some scene additions, scenes that are just longer, and then there's whole new scenes. There are a couple that like okay, that, I mean like the uh, the fencing scene. Mm-hmm. Car, Riker comes in while Picard is fencing and and says, "I am going to try my hardest in, in this case." Um, that scene feels a little, scene feels a little redundant. I mm-hmm. probably didn't need that scene. It yeah. probably would have been more interesting if it had been Riker and Picard fencing. <laughs> yeah, but um, that feels redundant. But like these, the the scene uh, where Data gives Geordi his. Sherlock Holmes pipe, mm-hmm. and asks him, "What would what have you ever thought about what you do after Starfleet?" Which you know that's before we find out that he's resigned. I love that scene. That scene is great, and mm-hmm. I can't believe that wasn't in the original. I think it's a wonderful scene. It's, yeah, it's my yeah. favorite of the new stuff for sure. And then there's a scene whenever they have the going away party for a data uh, near the end of that scene. Maddox comes in, and that was new. I almost thought that he came off as too mean because he just says, "Yeah, that was harsh." In a circus or something, I almost felt like I liked it better without that, just because it makes him seem cruel. And I, ne- I never really thought of him as cruel. I just thought of him as um, uh, misguided. Yeah, I mean, do you guys think Maddox is cruel or misguided, or neither of those? I, Maybe a little ignorant. Yeah. 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 I think I think he um I don't think he's like a, inherently a bad person. I think it's a um situation where his work and his enthusiasm for his work is blinding him to this point. I mean because if he if he if he really thinks about it and lets himself open up to the notion of the sentience of data it limits his options a bit. So I think he's kind yeah. of put up walls on it or something. Yeah, well I mean, we do we do get to see him uh change um just a hair right near the end when he mm-hmm. says, you know, he's a remarkable person. And I always remember, I don't, we, we don't actually see the actor playing this character again, mm-hmm. but that episode Data's Day, where the whole episode Data is like writing a letter, basically. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's That whole thing, he's composing it to Maddox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we know they, have, they did keep up some sort of correspondence. Huh. Anything else you guys want to add to this one? I think we've 
definitely covered what it's about. I don't think so. I think we're good. So a great episode that you can play for anybody, anytime. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly uh, what Trek is all about for us, what we love about Star Trek and why we do this podcast. And Let me tell you, I was excited just to hit the play button. (laughs) (laughs) It's still great. still holds up. Love it. All right. Six degrees for measure of a man. I believe Steve has three. Adam has one. Yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> um, Steve. Mm-hmm. Clive Kasatsu plays Vice Admiral Nakamura, Picard's boss that tells him Data must accept the transfer for Maddox research. Uh, Kusatsu will return as Nakamura for two episodes of Next Gen, or three depending on how you count it, and they will all be in what season? Hmm. Okay. I don't recall this off the top of my head. Um, fourth? No. Adam? Um, season six? No, it was season seven, actually. Hmm. He comes back for Phantasms and All Good Things. Oh, okay. Uh, Adam, the hearing, which decides the question of Data's sentience, is held on Starbase 173. Previously, Starbase 173 played a different station in the Wrath of Khan. What was its name? Um, That's a six piece <laughs> stretch, but you know, I'm out of people here. What are you going to do? Um, exact same model was used. Uh, yeah, I remember it from DS9, too. Um, yeah, I think they did use it once. But it was first created for the Wrath of Khan. What was its name in the Wrath of Khan? I'm trying to think. Um, it always sticks out to me because in this episode, obviously, it's 4 by 3 aspect ratio. So they've, they've cropped the sides. And every time I'm like, I'm just so used to seeing it in Wrath of Khan, <laughs> widescreen. Like, oh, uh, the station? It's on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it. Steve? Um, gosh. Oh, I know it if you can't remember. Now I know what it is. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Well, what is it, Adam? Regular? Yep, regular oh, yeah, one. I'll yeah, get that yeah. one to you. 3-2, Steve. Steve, Steve barely <laughs> All right. Hey, one quick thing. Did you guys see the new, uh, the new domestic poster for Into Darkness that came out a couple days ago? It's like a shot of the Enterprise kind of falling toward Earth. With like almost like smoke or something, kind of splitting the screen down the mm-hmm, middle. Mm-hmm. I love that poster. I was so blo- I mean, it was so cool. I was. It got me really excited because we've seen plenty of like they had just released the international poster, you know, and it's just. I mean, it's cool, but it, I think it's Cumberbatch's um, Harrison or whatever his name is, just in front of you know destruction, and, and then that's neat and all. But this was the first like poster for this movie that got me really excited because I just think it's an awesome poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we're supposed to get the. You haven't seen? Oh, definitely check it out. Um, and I think we're supposed to get the final trailer sometime this week, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we record this, we're about four weeks away from the release, which is neat. Basically, that means there's Star Trek in existence that we have not seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting and sad at the same time. Yeah, I think okay. we're going to try to go to the next Fathom event. That's in the best of both worlds. That's on the 25th, right? It's a it's a it's a week from Thursday. Well, at the day we're posting this, I should say it's a week from today, the day we're posting it. So, yes, it is the twenty fifth. Yeah, they're pointing at a bunch of theaters here. I might try and check it out. Yeah, are it you going, Steve? 
I'm not sure yet. Um, I have to kind of weigh what's going on and if I can pull it off. Yeah. <sighs> so, fun time for Star Trek fans. Exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that new video game comes out too, soon, too. Um, actually, that reminds me. Wait, one, before I let you guys go here, for, to our listeners... I'm not sure if we should even do anything for Into Darkness. Do you, do you would you do you guys want us to like spend an episode talking about Into Darkness or definitely not just continue with our normal reviews? I don't know uh what you guys might want. I'm probably fine with either. I don't know Steve and Adam, you will we can discuss it too. But definitely if any of our listeners, if you have any thoughts about that, would would you like to hear us discuss Into Darkness for 5 minutes at the end of an episode? Would you like to hear us spend an entire episode discussing it. Do you want us to not talk about it? Um, you know, let us know in, in, with an email, which you could send to trekcompanion at gmail.com. Um, you can also follow us on f- Twitter, which is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Um, let us know in any of these places your thoughts about Into Darkness. Um, we could even we could do something if we did like a whole episode on it. We could have people uh, join us a little bit here and there. Maybe read some of your emails. I don't I don't know I don't know what what thoughts you guys have, but it's it's only a month away, so very excited. Okay, so thanks for spending some time with us. It was really fun to discuss these episodes, especially Measure of a Man. Uh, and until next time, take it easy. Bye guys. See you.